This presentation this morning will be in two sections. Part one, it deals with this three and a half times in the time of the end. And the next one deals with the 1290, 1335 days, and Daniel standing in his lot. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my lips be to your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The chapter some people see is totally different from the rest, but that is not true. We need to look at the context, and the context of this chapter 12 is the conclusion of chapter 11. And that's very important. So chapter 11 ends with the words of the final papal strategy to destroy God's remnant, and it ends in the defeat of the king of the north. The prophecy of Daniel 11, the end is, and he, the king of the north, shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. The vital, final strategy is to destroy God's remnant. That is from the strategy of the king of the north. Here is another translation, because this is one of the more difficult translation aspects of the chapter. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas, and then in the Hebrew it specifically says, toward the beautiful holy mountain. That is a New English translation. Here is the final attempt of the papacy to destroy God's remnant that survived the final onslaught of persecution. That is during the time of trouble. The vital pap final papal strategy to destroy God's remnant. His strategy is to put his royal tents or the center of the false papal worship between the seas toward the facing the beautiful or glorious holy mountain. Here's, here you see the seas. Now what does the book of Revelation talk about the seas? What are they? The people between the seas, if you see, if you, if you picture Palestine here, and the one is the Great Sea in the Mediterranean, and the other one is the Gulf of Aqaba. Between the two waters, there he puts his place. So in other words, in a spiritual sense, in the final strategy, the king of the north, the Catholic Church, puts his seat between the peoples of the world, left and right. And then facing his final strategy on what? The beautiful, glorious mountain. And the beautiful, glorious mountain in the end of time is God's remnant people. He likes to destroy this. So see here in the rest of the world, he is in the center of the world and focusing now his attack on God's people. So the papacy will place its apostate worship 
in the midst of the peoples of the world, leading them towards the beauty of the glorious holy mountain, God's remnant in the final global attack to destroy them. And if this is a little foreign to you, a number of weeks ago I had a special series on Daniel 11. And so this is simply the continui continuity of Daniel 11, and, uh, which is chapter 12. And what see we, uh, the first element here in chapter 12 is in verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, with strength for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to the same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. And who are they people? Everyone that shall be found written in the book. Now what is this kind of book? That's the book of life. You see? So the question is here at the end of this presentation, where am I? Am I part of the book of life or not? That is the whole question. And if you are not a part of the, the book of life, then that's very, very sad. So let's now see here. Now this time of trouble such as never was is then the specific time of Jacob's trouble. So the observation is during the final time of trouble, after the close of probation, Christ will intervene in behalf of his people and deliver everyone written in the book, on the book of life. Now, when does Christ stand up? When Christ finishes his atoning ministry. At that time, Michael, and if you study very carefully the book of Revelation, you will see then that Michael is Christ, the greatest of all the angels, the head of all the angels. Michael is the one who intervenes. When in chapter 10, they are fighting over Medo-Persia and Greece and then Rome, it is Michael he stands up and will help the angel Gabriel because the angel Gabriel is not able to win the fight, but only Christ wins the fight. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. And so here you can see here how beautiful chapter 12 respond to this crisis situation in chapter 11. And now God's people will be delivered when Michael stands up. And here in early writings, and if you read that section in page 36, Ellen White writes here, when our high priest has finished his work in the sanctuary, he will stand up. Now what will he do when he stands up? He put on the garment of vengeance, and then the seven last plagues will be poured out. And they are terrible. Now why are they being poured out? Those are the most crucial, devastating plagues. 
It's in response to what the United Nations and all the leadership of all the people of the world have decided. They have decided and the genocide of God's people. Think about it. So therefore, Michael's standing up and his response is in harmony with the genocide of God's people. And so, when he finishes his work in the sanctuary, there is no more mercy. Why should God continue to have mercy on the wicked? No more. Because the ministry in the sanctuary is over. Nothing anymore. Atonement is finished. And then God's people will stand there by themselves, but not alone, because there is still the Holy Spirit. See how good this is, you see? But Christ is in heaven, and then coming down on the clouds of heaven. And now the final recognition will take place. And there in verse 2, you find a special resurrection. The text says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, does it say that all people will be resurrected? No. Some. And some to everlasting life. And some to everlasting contempt. There are two groups of people. Those who have worked for the Lord and have given all their lives to the Lord, they, their names are in the book of life, and they will be resurrected. Can you imagine if people from 1844 onwards to the end of time have been slaving and proclaiming the Lord's coming and they don't even see him coming? That must be a disappointment, isn't it? No, those people who have proclaimed the three angels' messages all their lives and have died in the faith of the three angels' messages, they will have the special privilege of the special resurrection. Yes. But also those who have fought against the truth, those who have nailed them on the cross. The thief of the cross who accepted it is in one category. The, those who denied him is in the other, other category. And so here then, in a beautiful way, the final reward will be given. It's at midnight, Elamite continues, that God manifests his power for the deliverance of his people. In the midst of the angry heavens is one clear, clear space of indescribable glory whence comes the voice of God like the sound of many waters saying it is done. Graves are opened and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. All who have died in the faith of the third angel's message come forth from the tomb glorified to hear God's covenant of peace with those who have kept his law. But they also who which pierced him 
Revelation 1, 7. Those that mocked and derided Christ, dying agonies, and the most violent opposers of his truth and his people are raised to behold him in his glory and to see the honor placed upon the loyal and obedient. Great Controversy, pages 6, 36 and 37. And so those people who have fought with the three angels' messages to, the, to their life, and those who have hated the three angels' messages and have fought against our people, they will see him. And he will be justified and sanctified and vindicated. And then the influence of the wise. Verse 3. And they shall be, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they shall turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. You see here how beautiful it is? Observation. They that are participant in the latter rain, proclaiming the loud cry. Those are the wise. Are you preparing for the latter rain? The loud cry. If so, you will be wise. The question is, do you understand this prophecy? Because the wise will understand this prophecy. And if you don't fully understand the prophecy, what have you to do? To go home and to do what? To study. To plead, just like Daniel, when he didn't understand all the aspects of the 2300 days. What did he do? Study Jeremiah. And then he found out the key to the 2300 days. And so you also are invited to study and be by, belong to the wise. Now, then you get the sealing of the book. Chapter 12, verse 7. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. And it is not simply the scientific knowledge, but what kind of knowledge? The knowledge of the prophecies. The knowledge of this prophecy. They will understand this. When the book is opened. Observations. Is the book of Daniel sealed? Think about this. You know, if you read the history of the prophetic interpretation, then you will see here that the understanding of Daniel 2, the kingdoms, was clear in the minds of the early Christians. Then, Daniel 7, the four beasts, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. That was clear already 2,000 years ago. But what was dark? The time prophecies. They didn't know what it was. And it was the time prophecies that have especially been revealed in the last days. This is what Elmai says in Acts of the Apostles, page 585. The book that was sealed is that portion of the prophecy of Daniel relating to the last days. 
to the time of the end. And that is what we are explaining here also, what is the time of the end? Because a number of Adventists today believe that the time of the end began with what year? 1844. But is that really the understanding that the Bible gives us? And that is what we will find here out. How long will it be till the time of the end? That's the question. Daniel chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood two others, one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one says to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders, these things? You know, keep in mind, this is the answer to Daniel chapter 11 where you see all the events taking place there. This happens and this happens and this happens and that happens. And now in chapter 12, the question is now, how long shall it be till all those events that we have seen in chapter 11 are to be accomplished? So that the understanding of Daniel 11 became clear and to our Many of our early Adventists, it was very, very clear. The observation now is, how long will it be till the time of the end? Because that is the question is, how long will it be? Now, there are three time prophecies here given. The time, times and a half a time, that is in chapter 12, verse 7. The 1290 days in verse 11. And then the 1335 days. And each of those things are so important, yet Satan is riding high because he has confused many of the Adventists about the 1290 and the 1335. And they are all looking in the near future when they will be fulfilled. Is that so? What does the Bible say? Observation. In order to understand those time periods, one needs to look at the structure of these prophecies. How is the Bible being related in those things? And note especially the context of those prophecies. The book of Daniel is sealed until the time of the end. Daniel 12 verse 4. And it was not until uh, that was opened that people understood the 1260, 1290 and the 335 days. So how is the structure then of those time prophecies? These time prophecies are part of two dialogues. I don't know if you have observed this, but you, I hope you go back then today and, and, and look over this, or you get the DVD here that explains many of those things. But two dialogues. The first dialogue. And then the second one. Each dialogue reveals the significance of a time prophecy related to the time of the end. So if you don't get it in the first dialogue, you should get it in the second dialogue. The first dialogue, and that is what we explained this morning. The second dialogue is in the afternoon. Gabriel. The angel Gabriel explained that the book will be sealed until the time of the end. 
the angel. One of the angels standing on the riverbank asked the man clothed in linen who was above the waters. Now the question is here, who is the man clothed in linen? The context is Daniel 10, verse 4 to 6. Now I'd like to you to look in your Bible. Chapter 10, verse 4. <clears throat> Thank you, dear. yeah. And in the fourth and twentieth day of the first month, I was by the side of the great river, which is the Hittical, or, uh, you know, many of us, See, it is the Tigris River. And then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Uphas. His body also was like a barrel, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as the lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like the color of polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of multitude. It reminds you of whom? If you go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 10 through 16. Revelation. Verse 10, I was in the spirit of the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it to the seven churches in a, that are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being in this verse 12 of chapter 1 and being turned i saw seven golden stone candlestick and in the midst of the seven candlesticks one unto the son of man clothed with a garment down to the foot and a girdle about the paps and a golden girdle and he and his head his hair were white like wool white as snow his eyes were like a flame of fire and his feet like unto a fine brass as if burned in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand the seven stars. So who is this? See, so Jesus manifests himself, and based on this insight, when we go back to Daniel chapter 10, we see that the man above the waters, who was that? Jesus. 
And so that is very, very important. It's Michael, it's Jesus. And so the question is now, how long shall it be till the end of those wonders? All those things that you have seen in chapter 11. How long shall it be until those things are explained? According to its context, the question is related to the time of the end. The angel is interested in knowing how long will it be until the book of Daniel will be unsealed. How long? And so that is the man of linen. That is Jesus in the first dialogue. The man of linen, Jesus responds by giving a time prophecy that reveals when the time of the end shall be. Jesus said that it shall be for a time, times and a half a time. And when the power of the Holy people has been completely scattered, all those things shall be finished. This is the New King James. Now it's a difficult passage to translate into Hebrew. And in this case, the King James is even clearer. Because here it says, until the power of the holy people had been completely scattered. The King James says it as follows. The literal Hebrew says, and when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. So what is the scattering of the, the, of the power of the holy people? What is that? Persecution. When did the great Antichrist persecution end? You know, at the end of the time, times and a half a time. And in the book of Revelation, because in the book, oh, book of Daniel doesn't explain what time, time and a half a time is. It's three and a half times. But the book of Revelation, chapter 12, explains exactly what it is. It is the 1260 days. And the same chapter says time, times and a half a time. So in chapter 12, twice this period of persecution being mentioned, once in the same phraseology as you find here in chapter 12, time, times and a half a time, but also 1260 days. And if you read then the, uh, the monthly calculation, especially with the flood, then you find there in Noah's time that the month is 30 days. And so here you find then that time, time and a half a time, three and a half years, 42 months, times 30, 1260. See how beautiful it works out. The prophecy about the arrival of the time of the end. This is what the first time calculation focuses on. The arrival will be at the end of the time, times and a half a time. When the persecution will be finished, then will the time of the end begin. Don't, don't miss that point. When will the time of the end begin? At the end of this persecution period. So the first dialogue focuses you on the end of the period of persecution. You get this? Jesus' answer to the angel explains that the time of the end begins in reference to the time of persecution of God's people by the little horn. 
because in chapter 7, verse 25, you call, see the same expression, time, times and a half a time. That is the persecution of the papacy of God's people. And now you find it repeated at the end in chapter 12. When will the time of the end begin? When the persecution period of God's people has been finished. And when was that? 1798, not 1844. So keep that in mind that the time of the end is not 1844, not at all. How long is the time, times and a half a time? Jesus reveals in the book of Revelation the long length of time, times and a half a time. Satan will persecute God's people for a time, times and a half a time or 1260 days or years. That is then the year-day principle. Prophecy about the time of the end. And you know, we have to thank the Catholics, at least one person, that the Lord uses in a mighty way. It was in the 12th century that a pious Roman Catholic abbot, Joachim of Fiore, discovered that in symbolic prophecy, time is also symbolic. The key that the prophetic day is a solar year. And this is a picture, pen drawing, of this abbot that uh, lived in the southern part of Italy. A day and a year. Now, it was already applied to the 70 weeks, but not to the long time periods. And it was this abbot that God used in a very special way that gave this thing. And of course, uh, the Catholic Church was not happy with this man and uh, wanted to call him to Rome for investigation. But fortunately, he died before he was to go to Rome. So his life was spared by God's mercy. Prophecy about the arrival of the time of the end? This does. 1260 prophetic days is 1260 solar years of the persecution of God's people by the Antichrist. We notice that in this prophecy, Jesus did not give the beginning of the prophetic period, but he focuses on the end of this period. And this is another of the prophecies that uh, this individual was working on. So the arrival of the time of the end, he stated that when the time of the end would be at the end or the three and a half times when the scattering of the dispersion of God's people had been completed. So when the persecution was over, then the time of the end would begin. And this is a very important thing for us as people. And unfortunately, uh, some of us have been confused with 1844, but that is not the case. From the prophecies of Daniel 7, verse 25, 12, verse 7, Revelation 11, verse 2, 12, verse 6, and 14, and 13, verse 5, we know that this prophetic time period began in 538 and lasted in 1260 years until 1798. And this then was this, the discovery that uh, was made by Joachim, but Joachim did not know 538 and 1798 because that was six, 600 years in advance. And so Christians then had to discover, use the findings of Joachim 
to find out, is this the beginning and is this the end? And they did it for 600 years until finally there was a deadly wound. So they looked for the deadly wound for 600 years. And then here was the, the arrival. In 1798, Napoleon General Berthier took Pope Pius VII captive. Uh, the, uh, Pope Pius VI captive and abolished the papal government by proclaiming the Roman Republic on Capitoline Hill that borders the Roman Forum. On February 13, 1798, Berthier, the general, entered Rome. And this is a pen drawing of the Napoleonic Museum, what you can find in, uh, in Rome. And uh, from time to time I take my people on a tour through those things. On February 15, abolition of papal government on Capitol. There it is. And it was here on, Cap on Capitol, Capitolina Hill, that the official proclamation was made to abolish the secular government of the papacy. Not the spiritual government. He still had spiritual power. But the secular government was abolished. And it is still like this today. See? Vatican was occupied. There are the French troops. And two of the generals went into the uh, Sistine Chapel. And on February 20, Pope Pius VI arrested, was arrested and taken from the Sistine Chapel and taken into exile. Here you see the Sistine Chapel of those who have been there. On the right side, you find there the beautiful uh, painting of the last uh, judgment of Michelangelo, who took many, many years of, of this. And so here you find the papal throne. And the Pope was just celebrating the inauguration of his papal, papal uh, function. And that was the anniversary of this. And so they took him on. They took the special uh, rings of his power from his finger and took him out and took him to a carriage to be taken to France. And this is then again 1798. The next year, Pope Pius VI died on August 29, 1799 in Valence, France. And uh, then, of course, the, uh, his, his desire was to go back to the Vatican to be there buried. But the people of Valence, the Catholics said, no, 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 he belongs to us. And so there was a power struggle there. And so what they did is then, they came to a conclusion to send his body back to the France, but let us cut his heart and let his heart be there in France. And that is what the compromise solution was. And so, this was clear to the Christians, you know what I mean, and, 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 and to Napoleon. So. Now, why do Christians today no longer keep this view? None of us, except Seventh-day Adventists, know this. Why? Here it is, how Satan can change the mind of true Christians. Many misinterpreted the deadly wound in Revelation 13, verse 3. They misinterpreted. What did they think was going to take place? They thought 
that the deadly wound predicted the end of papal power in 1798. But that is not what the prophecy says. It says it is a deadly wound. But what will happen? It's going to be healed. And the Christians of that time lost that understanding. And so they did not understand the healing of the wound at the beast in Revelation 13, verse 3. And they saw as one of his heads, as it were, were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wandered after the beast. And that is, of course, clear if you don't understand the prophecy. Because they said, oh yeah, the prophecy, no, that was not fulfilled. It was never fulfilled. And so that was the misinterpretation of this. Conclusion, the deadly wound was to be healed and it was to follow it. So there it is, friends. This is the end of the first dialogue that crystal clear should make into our mind the importance of 1798. Now, the next section this afternoon deals specifically with the 1335 days and the 1290. And the importance there is that it shows, and that is what Adventists have completely forgotten. The rest of the story is, it reveals the rise of the Antichrist in contrast with the spiritual rise of the remnant church. Those two things. Today, we don't have any Bible studies on this. If you want to get a clear explanation, you have to read uh, read the uh, book by Uriah Smith on Daniel 12. Uh, you find how we got this in my book, Foundations of the Seventh-day Adventist Message and Mission. And also that here in a book of the role of the status of the Catholic Church in the church-state relationships within the Roman Empire from 308 to, 18, to 814. And that is what we will discuss this afternoon. So if you want to get the whole picture of one of the most important prophecies dealing with the rise of the remnant, you need to come this afternoon. There are two prophecies that show you clearly the rise of the remnant. The one is Revelation chapter 10. You know, we know this is the disappointment. But the other one is Revelation 12, what reveals then the rise of the remnant. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for having given your people a clear insight in the rise of your church, the rise of the remnant church, and how important this is that affirms our understanding of where we are in the light of the Antichrist. Thank you so much, Father. Bless this church, and may we continue to study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.